The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator, Jamie Apps, and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week, I'm joined by an Impact Fee technician who lists their favourite movie as A Nightmare on Elm Street and favourite TV show as Golden Girls. Welcome back to the show, Karina Maybe. What's up? How's it going? Not too bad. No spooky trips. Yet, well, no more since the last time. It's correct. Yeah, I was. It was gonna go tonight, but um, we collectively decided that we needed an extra day, so we'll be hitting it hard tomorrow. And uh, I did the calculations, and Chloe and I only have three houses left out of ten, and that's how much we accomplished in three nights. Just for the record. See that that's why you needed an extra day because you just went balls to the wall last week and did three crazy long nights instead of. Oh, we have all month. Let's space it out. Take it easy. We couldn't help ourselves. We just like having fun. And I like abandoning my child on occasion. So, I mean, you know, it's it's cool. Great parent. Mon- scary monster Shh. jumps out. Bye. I mean, it's not my fault she was like the slow one, you know, whatever. <laughs> I can't help it. I, I ran in that fight or flight moment. She did not. It's like the old uh, Australian saying. I don't have to be the fastest swimmer in the world. I just got to be faster than that guy. So the shark eats him. 100%. I mean, I knew where she was. She was like right behind me, just like by a mile. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, she was right behind you getting attacked by the killer. It's fine. I mean, whatever. They would have returned her eventually. <laughs> oh, God. Alrighty. Before we dive into today's episode, Paria Magazine stands in solidarity and support of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA in their fight for better working conditions. Our publication has always been focused on the creative brilliance of these individuals rather than on the business of film and TV. As such, we will continue to highlight their creative talents during this time so that their contributions to our entertainment are not overlooked. Uh, Yeah, that strike is almost at the longest strike in history. Yeah, I'm... In shock that the um, companies have let it go on for so long without just like biting the bullet and coming to an agreement because in the end they're the ones suffering like everything's at a fucking standstill so good luck. Especially when they keep uh, they're doing all their like financial reporting at the moment and they're saying like well because we haven't got any films on the slate past this certain date uh, it looks like we're gonna lose x billion dollars uh, and all of those Metrics are higher than what it would cost them just to accept the union requirements. I was going to say, like, there is no way that they're going to recoup from this for a very long time. Like, I don't see anything that's even been remotely, like, rumored after this ends to be bringing in that kind of money to make up for how long this has gone on for. Because it's it's ridiculous at this point. I mean, nothing's going on. Except for, like... What is it, A24 is allowed to do it right now and like one other company or something like that? Yeah, there's like two companies that just went, yeah, we'll pay it, whatever. Yeah, so I mean, good on them and they're going to be flourishing while everybody else is like, fuck. 
just don't understand why they don't just go, okay, let's just pay a fair wage for everything, pay royalties, because, yeah, looking ahead, they're going to lose three, four times as much money by not putting anything out over the next 12, maybe 24 months. Yeah, and I feel like, honestly, the big production companies are probably thinking, oh, they're eventually just going to get tired of it and we're going to we're gonna win our way. But in reality, the actors and the writers hold everything in their hands because without them, you don't got anything. So mm-hmm. I don't know what to say, but on the bigger and better things. I think the big holdup is the like streaming platforms don't want to have to reveal their numbers on what shows are doing well because I I get the sense from like what we've been hearing coming out recently is it's not necessarily their original programming yeah that is driving viewership and subscriptions like just Netflix alone uh, Suits has been like the highest viewed show for the last like three months. And it's been out for so long and Netflix was lucky that they got it when they did and it's doing so well, but they didn't have a a hand in anything other than paying to have the rights to it for now. Mm -hmm. And they're not paying royalties. Yeah. So, I mean, that's insane. All of those actors have the most popular show on streaming at the moment and aren't getting any benefit from it, which kind of sucks. Right. And to be fair, nothing against Netflix because they do put out some good stuff, but there are some times where I'm like, they either have a hit or a miss. There's nothing like in between right now. And more recently than not, a lot of their stuff, with the exception of One Piece for the most part, hasn't been all that impressive. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's going to be, I think, very hard for them to recover as far as like original productions are concerned. That, and I think a lot of the problem with their original stuff is it's like six to eight hour long episodes and that's it like mm-hmm. whereas you look at suits and it's like what 20 episodes 20 24 episodes a season of like 40 minutes and it's like that's what people want yeah 40 45 minutes yeah like i don't care about having like hour long one season episodes of things like yes it's great to stream it all at one time and not have to wait every week to get a new episode but at the same time like it's just not it's not working for them they, they need to release like two seasons at a time at this point to keep everybody happy with what's going on. And like a lot of the time with the streaming things, people are, they just want something to chuck on in the evening before you go to bed or while you're eating dinner. Like you want something that you're going to have for ages and like have mm-hmm. heaps of episodes to get through. Not necessarily like, Oh, there's like Disney's the worst. Yeah. Six episodes an hour each. It's six weeks and it's done. It's like, Oh, and it's crazy to me, like, I mean, I don't get me wrong, I, I love Disney. Disney's one of my favorite things in the world, you know that. But they also haven't been impressing me with the shit that they've been putting out. Like, so for them to just expect people to be content with a six to eight episode series that comes out weekly is is a really big stretch for them in a big ask. So I don't know, I feel like a lot of these streaming services might be uh, better off when this ends to just focus on maybe some quick movies or something and popping out, like, you know, a one and a half hour movie to, to satisfy everybody while they work on other stuff. Cause I feel like that is where they're maybe having a better strong point mm-hmm. versus, versus series. I hope it sort of forces a few of them to consolidate too. Like, I think that was the big boon for Netflix when they first came out, they had a bit of everything. And then once they got into that original programming, everything kind of splintered off again. So now we've got Netflix, we've got Disney, we've got Apple, we've got Paramount. Like, okay, mm-hmm. there's, there's too many now. Can we condense back into like one or two? That was the, the joy of it. 
Yeah. And then what's crazy too is like a lot of them, they have like the same stuff, but then they want you to, it's weird. Like they offer you, oh yeah, like Paramount, for example, like you can get Showtime stuff if you have a Showtime subscription through Paramount. And I'm like, why do I want to link all of my fucking subscriptions into another subscription? If I want a fucking Showtime, I just subscribe to Showtime. I wouldn't go to Paramount for my Showtime. So it's just a very messy kind of situation, I think. And I think they're just, there's too many options now. So now moving on to today's topic. This week, we're emerging from the sewers covered in ooze as we review TMNT Mutant Mayhem, the latest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated film, computer animated superhero movie directed by Jeff Rowe, who co-wrote the screenplay alongside Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, Dan Hernandez, and Benji Samet, produced by Nickelodeon Movies, Point Grey Pictures, and Paramount Pictures. The movie follows the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as they work to earn the love of New York City while fighting against an army of other mutants. What did you think of this one before we deep dive? I dislike this movie. I don't hate it. It's not that it's terrible. I just don't like it personally because... I am a 90s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles baby, and you can tell me no different. Mm. And that is all I'm going to say on that. And I told you, we're going to have very different opinions on this movie, because I did not like most of it. (laughs) You're crazy. But I watched it, because I care. (laughs) I care, and I'm here for content, and I'm here to be the odd one out for you, so that is my job, and I'm here until the end. I'll agree it wasn't fantastic. But I really still enjoyed it. Like, it was a fun movie. And I think that's kind of what I was expecting from TMNT. Like, I wasn't going in there expecting a mind-blowing experience like Spider-Verse. But this was enjoyable. And I liked the art style. I know you weren't a fan of the art style. What I I told you it looked like a bad comic on, like, animated bad comic or something like that, I think, yesterday. Mm Mm-hmm. My problem is with these animated films, I am a very old school 2D animation person through and through. I love it. I think it's a beautiful art and it's very lost. It's also very expensive. I'm aware, but fuck it. We're throwing money and we're doing Ninja Turtles. We might as well fucking do it, right? Anyway, um, (laughs) so that being said, Spider-Verse is fantastic and it's such a unique art form. And with movies like that coming out and then you see something like this come out, there's just no way to compare it, and I feel like they just fell very short. They could have easily just gone with a very simple CG kind of thing, like we've seen multiple times with like How to Train Your Dragon and stuff like that, and I think it would have been perfectly fine. I think this kind of made it a little bit messy looking, in my opinion. But again, you know, that's just me. I'm just not a fan of the way that this came across the screen. Yeah, fair. I was uh, reading about it yesterday afternoon, and apparently the the idea behind this rough cartoon comic style, which reminded me a lot of like 90s Nickelodeon, like the Rocket Powers and the R Real Monsters and stuff like that. Apparently the idea behind it was they looked at Spider-Verse and saw how well it did with a very unique animation style. So they wanted something of their own, but they wanted to heavily resemble the Ninja Turtle concept art, which has a similar style to it, like all concept art has that sort of rough sketch to it. So they went down that path 
with the exaggerated features and spikes and the effect, like random effects lines in the background and all over the place because they wanted to encourage the artists to embrace their imperfections and draw like teenagers to give it that more youthful feel, which fits in with the whole theme of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Then they got their point across and it did come out very rough. Like, I feel like my kid could have probably sketched something very similar. So in that sense, it does come off and it does get that point across that, yes, this was inspired by a teen kind of artwork style. So kudos to them on keeping with that and that idea. It's, it is a very fresh idea. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's obviously not going to appeal to everybody, but it's cool that they were able to kind of stay true to that. Yeah, like it's it's obviously a, a clear choice, not necessarily like, oh, this is the best we could do. Like they've definitely chosen to go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a, a fun little Easter egg in terms of the animation as well with uh, when the turtles are planning how they're going to thwart Superfly. Did you see the, as Donnie's like imagination like starts to come through, we see images of the turtles and the turtles in that plan are the 1987 animated series turtles? No, I didn't notice that, but that's really fun because that was a really like that show was really iconic back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they popped up, I was like, "Whoa, that's the that's the early turtles." I kind of almost want to rewatch like that sequence now just to see that because yeah, that would that's fun. I can't believe I didn't pick up on that, but that is really fun. That was cool. I do appreciate all the little like nods to like '90s and stuff like that that was throughout this film. I will give it that. There was a ton of different like references in there and stuff, so I'm I'm really happy that they were able to do that. <laughs> Yeah, on the the references front, I think they were a little heavy-handed with that sort of stuff. Like, I understand that these are, are teenagers, so, like, a lot of, like, teenage conversation is, like, pop culture related. Mm-hmm. But holy dooly, they, there's a lot of references in here that are, like, just in your face. There's no subtlety about a lot of them. And it's like, okay, maybe, maybe a little bit much. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that is very true. It was very in your face and very forward. But, I mean, it kind of, it, it worked in the settings that they were in, for instance, like when they're going down the hallway and the kid's like, oh my God, look at that locker, it's Attack on Sight, and they like anime. I'm like, oh geez, like, way to go. That's totally a high school thing, though, like writing on lockers and stuff like that. So it's, it is kind of in your face in a lot of it, but I think it was necessary in parts, probably. And you sound like Batman. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't mean to kill you with my Batman. I'm Batman. <sighs> you couldn't have waited until I was done drinking, so thanks. Yeah, um, a few of the others that I picked up on were obviously the BTS. Like, that's that was a pretty big one where they really crammed that down your throat. And my favorite were all the Chris's popped up. My God. I had this conversation with, I, th- I think, Blake. <laughs> Too many Chris's in Hollywood, and then they're, they're all in this movie. It was a lot, and I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, can we tone it down? Chris Pine, Chris Pat, Chris Evans as cardboard cutouts. I was like, okay, all the Chris's here. Cool. It's too many fucking Chris's. And there was a cool hip hop one as well, tying in with like, there was a lot of like hip hop music throughout it, but did you pick up? Other than like Ice Cube dropping a, a fucking notorious line. Uh-huh. That one. <laughs> Six in the morning, police at my door. Nice little nod to Ice T by Ice Cube. I'm like, oh my god, like, if you don't know that that was Ice Cube there, you definitely know now. Yep. Yeah, when that that popped, I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, wait, that's a lyric. 
<laughs> that was a fun one. Yeah, I'm actually, I will say that even though this was not my cup of tea, Ice Cube was fantastic as a villain. Like, he was absolutely wonderful. I, I honestly feel like he was probably the most well-cast character ever next to Jackie Chan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you hear where Ice Cube took on the role as well? No, but I'm sure there's a good story behind that one. Uh, so basically he took it on because he loved like the, the Superfly name and how it was kind of... It was kind of a gangster character. Yeah. And also him and his kids watch TMNT, like the Ninja Turtles cartoons. So he was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> that makes sense. And that's that's wonderful. But yeah, he was fantastic for a villain. Like, I loved it. And I honestly kind of felt bad for Superfly, just saying. I did until he just wanted to turn everyone into mutants. And it's like, okay, well, hang on. Whoa. I mean, whatever. what's wrong with the little pushy stuff? You know, come on. Conform. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of like Magneto where it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like Magneto and Professor X where they both want the same thing, but they're both going about it in very different ways. Like, Yeah, hundred percent. The turtles just want to be accepted and be able to live a normal life. And they're going to do that by helping people. Whereas Superfly's like, no, screw them. I'm just going to turn them all into mutants so that they have to accept me because they are just like me. Yeah. I did pick up on a lot of like similarities in theming between X-Men and TMNT, which I guess has kind of always been there, but this was very clear distinction between it was like kind of on that racism, assimilation, acceptance vibe. Yeah, that's true. And this kind of, this was a, a good way of like kind of, I guess, getting across to kids that, you know, it's okay to be different and you can still kind of be accepted. That's what I pretty much took away from this is like any kid that comes out here is going to be like, oh, damn, look at that. There's a turtle in a fucking school. Like, that's pretty cool. I could totally be different too and be accepted. So, you know. Even within like the four turtles, they're all very mm-hmm. different but accepting of each other. Like we have massive anime nerd kid Donatello. Then you have like Leo who's just like the straight-laced good guy who just flat out snitches on them when they do something wrong. It's like, what are you doing, Leo? Shut the the fuck up. (laughs) Raph is kind of just a crazy goofball. He's Raph. And then Mikey's, Mikey's just an angry man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In terms of the casting, what did you think of the four turtles who for the very first time in a, in the series were performed by teenagers? That's a really cool concept to have teenagers performing as teenagers. Um, I like that. Um, I did, however, point out, I don't remember what turtle it was now because I just was half asleep. But one of them was way too young sounding to be a high schooler. Um, Like they hadn't quite hit their puberty stage yet, I guess, or something. Because they just seemed very, like, it sounded like they were more like 10 or 11 versus like high school, like 14, 15. So that was my one, one thing. I don't remember what one it was, but you know what I'm talking about. It was Micah Abbey as Donatello. And okay. he is, I think he is quite young, born in not November 8, 2007. So that makes him, what, 16? Uh, 16, 17. Jesus Christ. He sounds way younger. Yeah. yeah. He looks young. Oh, okay. So yeah, he was Donatello and yeah, he sounded young. Uh, we had Sharon Brown Jr. as Michelangelo, Nicholas Cantu as Leo, and Brady Noon as Raphael. I thought they were all really fun, but yeah. Donatello's voice probably sounded a little bit too young. Yeah. 
but yeah, they did, they did their roles well. Um, especially like, I don't think that I, this might be like one of their breakthrough things or very like early on in their career. So, I mean, it's a good start for them, especially, you know, I think voice acting is a little, a little difficult because generally you're not seeing the people you're interacting with when you're doing that. So you kind of just have to put your own emotions in there and pretend like you're in that scene, which can be more difficult, I think, than actually acting things out. So kudos to them for being able to do that. Although they did do something different with this one for the voice acting. Like you said, normally you wouldn't be inter like you'd just be in a booth by yourself recording your lines and needing to get everything across in your own voice. But for this one, they actually got groups of people together. So for each scene where there was multiple people with the turtles, all four of the turtles were in the sound booth together, oh, okay. recording together so that they could play off each other a little bit and improvise a bit more. That's great then. That's fantastic for them because a lot of people wouldn't get that opportunity. So that's a great advantage for them to, to have that so early on. Especially as like young kids, like I imagine this is probably like their first straight voice acting role. So to be able to just kind mm -hmm. of still work like normal actors, not have to go, okay, I have to learn a whole new skill set of projecting all of these emotions through my voice only. Yeah. So yeah, they had uh, up to seven actors at a time could be recording together for this. That's pretty massive. I think it shows, like it, like it definitely comes across a bit more fluid with some of the scenes and like not so stilted, like that kind of happens with anima animation sometimes. Like you can definitely tell that they're separate and they don't sync up with how a certain character says a line and then the other person reacts to it all the time. Yeah, there's like different tones sometimes when that happens and you can definitely tell like the pitches of people's voices with things. Uh, and then the rest of the cast, Jackie Chan as Master Splinter, perfect casting. Yes, very much so. Like if anyone was going to be Splinter... It had to be Jackie Chan. The only other person, Jet Li, but Jackie Chan all the way. I like that they kind of gave us his origin story as well at the start. And I did find it funny that he technically touched the ooze after the turtles, but be they basically like, but because I was already older when I touched the ooze, I became an older mutant and you guys were still baby mutants. <laughs> also, Master Splinter with a fucking afro or like <laughs> curl fucking thing. Oh my God. That was... That was pretty good. Not going to lie. Pretty good. We mentioned Ice Cube as Superfly. Uh, what did you think of Ayo Edabiri, a.k.a. Sydney from The Bear, as April O'Neil? Um, she did great, actually, and I didn't know it was her until you told me about that. Um, but it's fun to see her branching out now because she got so much um you know, so much recognition for doing the bear because it's such a, a monumental show. Um, so it's good to see that she's starting to get more recognition and offered more things. It is kind of weird though, because she looks young, but I don't think she's very young. So for me, knowing what her, like her face and like what she's done, it was kind of hard for me to put her into a high school character. Um, but I still think she did very well doing it. I thought she was great as well, but the, a lot of controversy about this version of April O'Neil. I thought it was fun. It worked for me. Yeah. I mean, whatever. We've seen her, we've seen April in so many different ways. So, I mean, you know, we've seen her be, Megan, wasn't Megan Fox April O'Neil or something like that too? That terrible? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. There's been a bunch of April O'Neils and I don't think it was bad at all. It's just a younger version of April, I think. I just saw so many people like up in arms. It, it was a black April O'Neil and like a bigger April O'Neil. She doesn't always have to be like hot redhead. Like, 
She's a side character. It's like they're the same people who got butt hurt over a fucking black Ariel. Like, get the mm-hmm. fuck over it. I don't know what you expect. Things are changing. Things are always gonna evolve. Get the fuck over it. Get the fuck out. That's all I'm gonna say. It's it's not, it's not like they turn the turtles into alligators or something like. No, and I mean, if they did, then I guess we'd have a Florida situation. So. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, eh, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, no, I had no problem with it. I liked the character, though. Yeah, she was really fun and, uh, you know, super, super smart and just like an all over like great add to the cast. I'm glad that they didn't decide to leave her out. Like, I feel like if you have a Ninja Turtles movie and you don't have April in it, then you don't really have Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some of the bad guys, uh, the one that obviously stood out the most, Giancarlo Esposito as Baxter Stockman, the scientist that created the ooze that ultimately created the turtles. Uh, he's Gustavo Fring from Breaking Bad and a plethora of other things now. He is in everything and I love him for it. Like, I didn't know his name for the longest time and then when the last Far Cry game came out or one of the last Far Cry games came out. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, that's the guy from Breaking Bad. Like, I don't fucking know his name, but I know who he is. I think everybody does that. Anytime they see his face, they're like, oh, that's the Breaking Bad guy. Yeah. So, and the fact that he's like in literally everything and he always plays like a gangster or. Yeah, he's always a bad guy. I've never seen him play a good guy. I don't think he could. It'd be really weird if he was just like, here, sport. <laughs> no, like, he needs to be like, where's my money? bitch? Mm-hmm. We had Maya Rudolph as Cynthia Utrom, the like woman that is rarely hunting the turtles, trying to milk them. Oh my god, can we not? Can we not? Because that was not fucking necessary at all. You, you don't want to whip out the Mega Milker 3000? I don't know how they got away with naming a machine that in a kid's movie. I thought it was funny. It's just eh, the whole conversation. Like, I thought I was hearing shit. That's why I had a message you. I was like, do they really just say, like, they're getting milked? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, no. Mm-hmm. The fact my I didn't even realize that was Maya Rudolph. Um, the accent was so heavy on this character. Um, it was kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, she she's not very recognizable. To be honest, most of the bad guys, their voices were, like, obviously character caricatures of certain things so yeah they weren't all super recognizable like even john cena as rocksteady like it's there but it's not just john cena talking like john cena right i don't know for some reason all of these villains like i feel like the actors just kind of went crazy a little bit and just decided to just go ham like if i were a gigantic mutant rhinoceros what the fuck would i sound like you know if i was a huge mutant gecko what would that sound like? Not, oh, this character needs a unique voice. It's just, I'm going to play this animal as if it were a mutant at this point. Yeah, I think they were probably given that sort of leeway to just like, just get wacky with it. Like, these are wacky characters. Like, they're not, and they're not our core group of like the turtles and Splinter. So like, just be silly. Yeah, it was different. Seth Rogen as Bebop was probably the most recognizable just because he has such a recognizable voice. Yeah. That is very true. It is kind of hard for him to to hide his ways because he is unique. Rose Byrne as Leatherhead with a very, very grating Australian accent. I heard that and I go, damn, that's as if I would have said that. Like, it was downright awful. Especially because she's Australian. It's like, oh my goodness. That's what was crazy to me. 
I looked at that and I'm like, you didn't even have to put on a fucking accent. Like, you could have just talked. That's what you sound like. You could have literally. Although I think she has, she has kind of lost her accent a lot. So. Oh no, she like sounded like fucking female crocodile Dundee for a hot minute, and I'm like, bro. Yeah, she 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 cranked up the the Aussiness. Yeah, that was that was a much. It was worse than you, and I have a hard time understanding you sometimes. <laughs> don't go down a survey. Oh, oh my god, can we not? I don't need to scratch my head any more than I already do. <laughs> uh, Natasha Demetrius as Wingnut, Paul Rudd as Mondo Gecko. That was a cool one. Yes. Paul Rudd is, is my, like, lord and savior. I swear, I think he's just wonderful. And he can just do no wrong. I don't care what he's in. It's just wonderful with Paul Rudd. Hannibal Burris as Genghis Frog. And do you know who played Ray Filet? No, but you're going to blow my mind, probably. That was Post Malone. <laughs> okay, we just threw everybody in this fucking crock pot of Megs. Mm-hmm. Like... Yo, you want to be in a Ninja Turtles movie? You got it. <laughs> now knowing that, it's funny that he keeps trying to sing. It's like, oh, good job, Post Malone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, and then there was one other cameo that you may not have picked up on during one of the flashbacks in the in Times Square. One of the bystanders was the YouTuber Mr. Beast. Oh, I know about that guy. I know, I'm going to sound really dumb. I don't watch any of that kind of stuff, but I know of him through my kid. Yeah, I just know he gives away lots of crazy amounts of money and cars and stuff. Yeah, like he does good on stuff. That's kind of fun though for him too. Yeah, random random cameo. So plot-wise, what did you think of like the main thread of the story of them trying to get accepted by everyone? Um, I think it's kind of a almost a generic storyline for Ninja Turtles. I feel like they've always kind of wanted that. They've always had that need to be wanted and, and accepted. Um, and they've always been kind of shunned, um, which is you know understandable. But it wasn't horrible. It just I feel like it was kind of almost kind of long, honestly, for an animated movie that's had a decent runtime. Um, and I feel like it kind of got lost here and there a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe that was just me. I think because it is like the reboot, reintroduction of these characters, they did have to sort of jam a lot in there. Like we got the turtles origin. Even April got a little bit of an origin story. Puke girl. <laughs> Splinter got his origin story. Superfly. I thought they were all really well done and quite quick so that we could get back to the main story, which, yeah, like we mentioned, was all about the, the turtles feeling isolated and just wanting to fit in so they go about that by being heroes according to the the crew behind it the whole idea was the turtles isolation is meant to mirror the sort of teenager feeling isolated and wanting to fit in and I think they they definitely captured that vibe and at times it was like kind of sad as well when they're like sitting on the roof and realizing they can't just go and watch a movie you'll do anything yeah, it is kind of a sad thing, and it is it, it kind of hits home because my my kid has friends that are like that, you know, and so to see them kind of like you know use that and bring awareness to it, it's a really good thing, and um, you know, hopefully, I mean, I know it kind of sounds depressing, but I kind of hope that it's a growing trend where they kind of like shed light on certain things that high schoolers go through that people might not actually see or want to see for the most part um and the fact that they can put it into a kid's 
movie um, so children can also kind of be aware of what's going on is a great thing. Mm-hmm. And I love that obviously at the end, the only way for the turtles to win is for them to all like work together and use each other's strengths because like at the start when they're, they're trying to fight, they're basically fighting as individuals. And then at the end, they all have to start. They realize, oh, we have to work together. We've got to use like Donatello's brains and Raph and Mikey's crazy athleticism and then Leo's mm-hmm. leadership to finally succeed in achieving the goal of defeating the mega mutant. Right. I think I honestly, I, as much as I hate to say it, the mega mutant was cooler than all the other villain mutants. Still doesn't top my favorite villains of all time from the Ninja Turtles, but we're not going to go down that route. Why? Because you have giant fox and turtle and um, not even like turtle, but like a loggerhead turtle, whatever the fuck he was, turtle. And they were cool. This was okay. Yeah, it was fun. I I did like the like horses for legs, multiple horses for legs. and That was random. That was weird. It was a, it was a strange mutant, but... Yeah, to look at him was very awkward because every time you looked at him, it changed or you saw something new and it just got worse every time I stared at it. It was a very gross mutant. I'll give it that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the animation team just literally threw up all of their mutants into one huge thing and said, yeah, this is great. Yeah. I, th- I think the plot was fine. Like it obviously wasn't crazy deep and meaningful, but it did it did the job of getting the point across of just accept people for what they are and what they like. Like, don't be a jerk. Yeah. A couple of cool Easter eggs. The pizza van finally appeared at the end. I was so stoked to see that pop up. <laughs> the high school is called Eastman High School, which is a nod to the original uh, Ninja Turtles co-creator, Kevin Eastman. Okay. And when April is interviewing the Turtles after they first meet, they're sitting under a sign that says the Laird which is a mm-hmm. nod to the other co-creator, Peter Laird. Oh, okay. That's fun. Cool to have them in there. And Kevin Eastman also got a, a cameo in the movie as the helpful person that, like, lifts up one of the turtles in the, the final sequence when they're fighting and they need a, a hand up. He is that person. Well, that's fun. Like, he got to kind of, like, you know, still be a part of that universe, which is great. And then a spoiler for the post credit scene, the ultimate Easter egg, the one that I was waiting for the entire movie, Shredder. I know, and I knew you were going to be wrong. I was right, and you were wrong. I was like, there's no way. It's not going to happen. I just wanted to piss you off because you just like sent me angry face, and I go, yep, get, grind your gears if it doesn't happen. You were so wrong. You were so wrong. Admit it. It's okay. You're wrong on a lot of things, so it's cool. Uh, See? So- with the Shredder tease in the post-credits, that obviously is going to lead to this series continuing, which we have got confirmation for that it has been greenlit for not only a sequel movie, but a two-season 2D animated television series for Paramount called Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So there's at least yeah two seasons of TV and a sequel movie coming. There is also a TMNT Mutant Mayhem game coming out by being published by Outright Games, which is scheduled for 2024. Okay. Well, here it comes the, everybody's going to be on the, the Ninja Turtles train now, which 
you know, I mean, good for them because, I mean, I, I love seeing nostalgia kind of make a, a new, like, you know, round and, and get introduced into the younger generation because it's what I grew up on. And, you know, I think a lot of it was really fun. And I think we've lost a lot of that because there's so much crap going on. So it's nice to have something fun to look forward to. Very glad that it's going to continue. And I'm excited to see these turtles versus the new Shredder. That should be a fun series, especially because uh, the director is coming back to direct the sequel. And then the, the production company Point Grey is going to produce both the sequel and the series. So it will it will feel cohesive. It's not going to be like, oh, we're farming off the series to a different production company and it it's in the same universe, but it's going to feel different. So at least this way, it's all going to feel like it's all connected. Yeah. No, that'll be good because I hate watching things and it's supposed to be in the same universe and you can tell it's very, very different. The Turtles are making a bit of a renaissance with this movie. There's the sequel stuff, the tie-in game, but there's also a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the last Ronin game being developed as well. So. Oh boy. That one looks really cool because that one's the, it's based on the comic, The Last Ronin, which is basically about one of the turtles after the others are all murdered. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that took a turn, a very dark turn. It's a dark one, very like samurai out on his own. Mm-hmm getting vengeance story very batman slash turtles i'm not mad about that honestly i'm down for that i'm keen for that yeah obviously with all of that stuff spinning off there has to be a reason behind it and it's basically very profitable by the looks of things budget of 70 million dollars so far as of september 7th so it was released in australia on september 7th so all of our box office hasn't been counted in this yet okay it was at $153.5 million. Yeah, I was going to say, because it came out like, fuck, almost a month ago, probably over here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I've known about it for a minute. So yeah, that's in- it's actually crazy and good for them for being kind of like a, a small kind of movie that, you know, I mean, it wasn't small to produce, but I don't feel like it got as much attention as other animated films. So right on for them. Yeah, so they've, they've doubled their money without even including Australia yet or any like digital releases so it should should begin to really rack up the money and obviously hence why they've greenlit to continue more stuff that's awesome before we close out random question who's your favorite turtle Raphael. how did i know you're a raf person <laughs> there's nothing wrong with Raphael. fuck off i'm disappointed he's the best disappointed you're disappointed with me in this whole fucking movie anyway bet you don't know my favorite turtle donatello Michelangelo. Nope. I'm a Leo boy. Oh, for fuck's sake. Even though he's a big goddamn snitch dork in this one. I was going to say, like, of course you had to pick up the goody two-shoes fucking Ninja Turtle. Like, it's okay to be wrong. I just like the blue guy. It's okay to be wrong. To close, in terms of a rating, what would you give Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? I'm going to give it three pizza slices. <laughs> Okie dokie. There you go. Pepperoni. Pepperoni pizza slices. Yeah, I would probably give it a three as well. Not necessarily one that you'd need to rush out and check out in the cinemas, but definitely something to hit up when it hits streaming here in Australia. And I'm assuming it's probably already available over there. Uh, Yeah, I think Amazon's going to have it soon to purchase or rent or something. So it's it's coming soon. Wouldn't Paramount have it? Surely Paramount have it. I don't know. Since it's a Paramount Pictures 
Well, to be fair, Amazon, like, you can rent things from Am- from any platform on Amazon, so I don't know where it's going to be, though. Yeah, I assume it'll hit Paramount at some point. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Alrighty. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. You can follow Karina on Instagram at Miss Karina Renee, and you can follow me on social media at Jamie Media and at Paria Magazine. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Apps.